Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. The 30 Years War. It's a time that many people don't know about in this country, but it was a dark time in the history of men when hope was on short supply. Now, if you've studied history, then you know that this conflict, it raged from 1618 to 1648 in Central Europe. And it actually remains to this day, one of the longest and most brutal wars in human history. More than 8 million people died from the battles, the famine and the disease brought by the conflict. But one man, he decided to remain faithful to the work of God, even though it was a dark time in Europe. Martin Rinkart, a pastor in Eilenburg, Germany. Eilenburg at the time, it was a walled city and it had become a place of refuge for thousands of people who were fleeing the war. And as the city filled with people, it became overcrowded and it became undersupplied, meaning this. There wasn't enough food. There wasn't enough basic medical care or even basic sanitation. Now, this city of refuge had become a city of death. Plagues were starting to sweep through the city. It took hundreds of victims. And during this time of misery and pain, Rinkart, he wrote 60 different hymns of faith and hope. And his hymns, they helped to turn the people from looking at their own situation, their own despair, their own problems in life, to looking at the power and the love of God. In Rinkart, he encouraged them to look beyond their circumstances to the eternal blessings of God. And with this confidence, Rinkart was able to minister to thousands and thousands of people. In the terrible plague of 1637, the other pastors, they took off, they fled, they ran for their lives, and some of them died. Rinkart was left alone, the lone pastor left in that city to bury close to 4,500 men, women, and children. Some days, he would actually conduct as many as 45 funerals. I'm not even sure how you do that justice. When the war drew to a close, the city of Eilenburg was overrun by several different armies several different times. And at one point in time, the Swedish army occupied the city. And the general in charge, he demanded, like they did back in that day, that the people would pay a large tribute. And on behalf of the people, Rinkart, he went out and he spoke to the general and he begged for mercy. But the general would not yield. Facing possible death, Rinkart called for the people with him to kneel and pray. And he told them, we can find no mercy with humans. Let us take refuge with God. They prayed. They sang a hymn unto God. And stunned by this, the general, he just watched. And when Rinkart arose, that general ordered that the levy be reduced and spared the city. And it was with this faith that Rinkart wrote the famous hymn, Now thank we all our God. In the book of Hebrews, persecution was on the horizon for the Hebrew Christians. 
Persecution had already been there before. But how were the Christians to respond? How were they to react when there was no hope, no mercy, no peace? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Where do we turn when our lives start to fall apart? Where do we turn when our lives crumble? Where do we turn when we lose hope? Join me this morning in Hebrews chapter 10. We begin our time in verse 32 where the author says, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, interesting phrase, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Now, the first thing that the author is telling us is that when you lose hope, when you have that in your life, look back to the journey that God has already taken you on in your faith. You see, if you're a believer in Christ, God has already done a mighty work in your life. You trusted him then in the past. Look back to the journey God has already taken you on. So now you should know that you can trust him in the future. And so he starts by reminding them that after they were first illuminated, when they were first converted, you see, they struggled, they suffered for the faith, but yet they had remained faithful illuminated. What does this mean? Well, this is the work of God when he opens up the eyes of spiritual understanding because before Christ, we were blinded in our sin by Satan. Now, this takes place when? It takes place at conversion, when sinners are transferred from darkness to light. Enlightenment brought to the souls because of regeneration. You see, the Hebrew Christians had actually gone down this road before suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. And some of them didn't really want to go there again. I mean, who wants to sign up for that path again? They had stood their ground when it would have been easier to just walk away. Because when a lost person is converted, what happens? It isn't too long before the dark forces of this world, they pile against them. See, there's a spiritual war that is taking place and darkness hates the light. But these Hebrew Christians had been brought to the Savior. They had found the substance behind the shadows of their former faith. And look at what they went through, starting in verse 33. He says, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. These Christians had already been ridiculed for their faith in Christ in the past. They had looked like fools to the world. They had been insulted for Jesus Christ. This persecution they had already gone through in the past was probably in Rome by Emperor Claudius in 49 AD. Now, Rome considered the Christian faith to be a part of the Jewish faith. So when the Jewish people suffered, well, then the Hebrew Christians went right along with them and they had to suffer too. And they had been publicly humiliated. And when some of the Christians were thrown in prison, including the very author of this book, they didn't run away. They identified with him. You see, prisoners back in that day, they weren't given an Xbox and told to play video games all day long. Prisoners were actually punished. And if you wanted to eat, if you wanted to eat back then, if you wanted to even survive, you had to depend on your friends and your family. But it put you at risk to identify with anyone that was arrested for Jesus Christ. 
And when they were kicked out of Rome, they had their homes and all that belonged to them taken away from them. And verse 34 is actually a pretty amazing verse because it tells us that they joyfully accepted this. They went along with it. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods. But through all of this, they maintained their stand for Jesus Christ. They didn't abandon the faith. We even know that five years later, when Emperor Claudius died in 54 AD, they returned back home. They went back home to Rome and continued their testimony for Christ in that city. Look back, he's saying, look back to how God has already worked in your life in the past, but also at the same time, look forward, which is what they had done. You see, they were willing to accept the fact that their homes and all that they owned, all their possessions had been taken away from them because they knew they had a better and enduring possession, the text tells us, in heaven. Now that sounds like hope, doesn't it? That sounds like hope, not hope in the things before us here, now, in this life, not hope for a better life here and now, hope in the eternal Endurance is not just the ability to go through a hard thing, but to turn it into something that glorifies God. Allow me to say that again, because I want you to catch that point. Endurance is not just the ability to go through a hard thing, but to turn it into something that glorifies God. And I believe this is why we see so many Christians today without hope because their focus is wrong. They have believed the lie that hope means a perfect life here, now, an easy life without trials, without struggles. Hope for a big home, a house, no bills, no work. But that, if you chase that dream, that is not where hope is found. It is found in heaven. Look again at what he says here. He says, our inheritance, our future in Christ is a better possession, an enduring possession, reserved in heaven, reserved by Jesus Christ himself. You see, when you have strong faith, when you hold on to those promises of God, our future in Christ becomes so very real in our eyes that we are willing to let go of the material things because they're not going to last anyway, are they? Because nothing that we have can compare with the enduring possession that is ours in heaven. From 1965 to 1997, President Mobutu reigned as the dictator and president of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And after he was forced out of power, the country collapsed and it just descended into nothing but conflict and chaos. A Christian by the name of Emma reported about all the atrocities that had been committed against his friends and his family. And Emma said that his wife and his three daughters joined him as they fled to the east on foot. And it took this poor family two weeks to make it to Uganda as refugees, and they had just nothing to their name. Living in destitute poverty for month after month, one day he walked past a small little tiny seminary that was there in Uganda. And at that point, he began to feel the tug of God that maybe God was actually calling him into the ministry. And so he had questions. And this is unimaginable to him because up until this point in time, their family had been living in a one room shack without water, without electricity. And he was only even able to pay for one meal for his family every two days. That's not enough food to go around. Well, Emma met 
with one of the pastors at the school and he started just pouring out his heart. He started pouring out all that had happened to them and he shared the stories of the violence and he shared the stories of the injustice and he wept openly and even though in that culture, African men don't cry in public, he wept. Then Emma said these words. He says, you know, I could never believe the gospel if it were not for the judgment of God because I will never get justice in this world, but I couldn't cope if I was never going to see justice done. You see, living here in America, in the United States, in the West, we don't get it. We do not get it. We don't even like it when the Bible talks about God's justice because we hardly ever have to suffer injustice. But most people around the world and most people throughout the history of man, they know something that we don't know sitting in here in this room today, that God's justice is worthy of praise. And that is where Hebrews actually takes us. He tells us not to look just back at the work of God in our lives in the past, but he says also look forward because that is where hope is found. Verse 35. He says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Now, the author of Hebrews was writing to believers who are about to suffer for their faith in Jesus Christ. And in the past, they rejoiced when they'd been kicked out of their homes. I'm not there at my faith. I mean, that's a difficult thing, but they even did it. They rejoiced when they were kicked out of their homes. They rejoiced when everything they had was taken from them. Why? How could they get to that point in their faith? Because they knew that God would reward them. They knew that the future rewards would be greater than anything that had been taken away from them. Do you remember the promise of our Lord in Matthew 5? He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This same promise is true today. Christ has promised to reward his people when they follow him through those storms of persecution. And that is why the author of Hebrews encourages us to look forward, reflect on the rewards that are going to be given. Rewards can be a powerful motivation to keep you on the right road, to keep you on the path to honoring Jesus Christ. So instead of turning on to that dead end street of turning away from Christ, he says here, don't cast away your confidence. Literally, don't fling it away. Don't treat your faith like it has no value because this confidence is that we have access to God through Christ. It is the conviction that God's word sitting before us this morning is his truth. It is confidence that we as believers in Jesus Christ are continually to identify with Christ. We are to preach Christ. We are to meet for the glory of Christ, even when the persecution comes here to our state. If the Hebrew Christians would have turned back, if they would have turned back to that Levitical system of worship, it would have been a loss of rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. That is what we do when we lose hope. We turn back. See, the writer is telling us that our faith in Christ and our faith in his word, it sustained us in the past. It helped us in the past. It sustained us and it can do the same thing now. It can sustain us now. But what do we need to do? 
We need to continue in the faith. We need to be patient. We need to have boldness in Christ, boldness in the face of opposition. And we need endurance. And where does that come? Endurance comes from faith. When we face the hard times, when we face the pain of life, we endure because of our faith. And this endurance will lead to a great reward. You see, these Christians started out confident. I think we all do when we first come to Christ. We start out confident, confident in Christ, but it had led to tough, difficult times. You see, it's normal for Christians to become tired in their faith, maybe weary in their faith. When you run out of money, when you're up all night with sick kids, when you have problems at work, it's normal to want some rest. It's normal to want a break when things get tough, to take a step back when the obstacles ahead look harder than what you think you can actually overcome. And one of the tricks that comes right from the pits of hell itself is to wait for God's people to become weighed down, to become tired, and then that's when those demonic temptations come in, the temptations to turn away from Christ. But God has a plan for our trials. Do you remember what we saw in James chapter 1? It said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. You see, enduring, it starts with faith. It goes back to the promises of the Word of God, but it also comes from the mindset that we are more committed to doing the will of God than our own. It moves past our initial salvation. It is learning to trust Christ now, learning to trust Christ with our future. The work of God in our lives is that he develops this type of endurance when his people trust him during those difficult and hard times. But if you never actually learn to trust him in your life, then you lose out on the work that he's looking to accomplish in your life. Have you guys heard about this guy? His name is Luke Akins. Luke is an interesting fellow. He jumped out of an airplane at 25,000 feet, and he didn't have a parachute. And he didn't even have one of those wingsuits that make you kind of slow down. The only thing that he had, and you can see it on the bottom of, in the center of the screen there, was a square 100 foot by 100 foot net set up to catch him. And he landed at a terminal velocity of 120 miles per hour. Is he crazy? Perhaps. But how did he do it? How did he do it? I mean, how do you practice for something like this? Well, Luke was clear that he had a ridiculous amount of training. I mean, this was not something you take lightly. He worked hard on this one. And he had over 18,000 jumps to his name before he even started thinking about this. And then he prepared for the stunt by doing dozens of jumps each time, actually wearing a parachute, aiming for the 100 square foot net, and then opening the chute at the last possible moment. And each time he would jump, he would work harder at hitting a much smaller and smaller target. Now, personally, I don't think he's just nuts. I think the man is insane. But he had a good point, and I will give him this, that proper training will get you to places that you never thought possible. Do you hear me? Proper training will get you to places that you never thought possible. You see, faith is not running from our problems. Faith leads to endurance, and endurance comes by learning to trust God in the midst of our trials. 
by understanding this simple fact that God is using all those difficult things in your life, in those trials, to train us up to depend on Him. That's what He's looking for in your life. Walking by faith means we have learned to trust Him even though we don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know the outcome, even though we don't understand the reason for our trials. Faith is trusting God in all things. Endurance is to remain steadfast in the faith, to hold firm to that position that we have in Christ. You see, mature Christians, mature believers in Christ, they've learned something from God's Word, that God's strength will take us through those difficult hardships. And it's based on something. It's based on an understanding of who He is. It's based on an understanding of His character. It's based on an understanding that any promise that He writes down in His Word for us, it can be counted on 100%. Endurance leads to living out the will of God. And this is what brings peace in your life. And then we receive the promise found starting in verse 37. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. These are strong words in here, so let's be careful as we walk through this. Follow the argument that the author is giving us. He says, we don't have to wait very long. The Lord's return is near. Christ is coming back. And one of the promises of God to his people is the return of Christ. The day is drawing near. His return should outweigh that simple little principle. His return should outweigh any struggles that we have right here, right now in our lives. So in the meantime, what are we to do? We keep walking by faith. And if we abandon that, we will not please God. We don't really want to suffer for our faith. I mean, show of hands, who really wants to sign up for that? Do you want to suffer for your faith? But at the same time, I would challenge you with this because the word of God also speaks highly of those who do. Always consistently, it speaks highly of those who suffer for their faith. It's not a path we would choose for ourselves, but if we are called upon as believers to suffer ridicule, isolation, or persecution for our faith in Jesus Christ, we should consider it an honor. We should consider it that we are blessed. Now, the author alludes to two passages here. He doesn't directly quote them, but he alludes to two passages. And the first one is Isaiah 26, verse 21. And the second one is Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He alludes to Isaiah because in Isaiah it was to show that Israel was waiting for God to act. That a lack of action in the present did not mean that God would not keep his word. And in Habakkuk, the Old Testament prophet, he wondered, he he honestly had questions. He's like, God, why are you delaying? What is taking so long? Why are you delaying and sending your judgment upon Israel for her sins? Evil and injustice seem to have the upper hand in Israel. And God assured the prophet that one day his judgment would come, that the people should sit there and just wait patiently for it. And that while the righteous waited patiently for that judgment to fall upon the guilty, they were to live by faith. And I think it's the same message, you see. I think we do the same thing. We look at everything that is going on in this world and we get angry. We get discouraged. We get angry. I do. I get angry when I hear about millions of babies who have been murdered under the banner of choice. That angers me. 
We get angry when we wonder what is going on when the homosexuals don't just want to redefine marriage today. They want our stamp of approval and they want to cram it down our throats. That angers me. God's answer then is the same answer that he gives now. Be patient. He'll work out his perfect plan in his time. And remember that our holy God hates sin even more than we do. Punishment of sin will come. Wait for it. Because to trust God fully means to trust him even when we do not understand. Now, the author of Hebrews, he uses this text to tell us to keep waiting patiently for the return of Christ, the return of the Lord. It should be good news for his people. But if you're not living by faith, if you're not walking with Christ, it could lead to open shame. Let's say it like this. Do you really want to be caught in sin when he comes back? Do you really want to be caught living for yourself in open rebellion against God when he returns? Now, who is this just person in verse 38? A just person, biblically speaking, is one who has been declared to be righteous because he's been made righteous in Christ. So the justified believer is to live by faith. Focus in on the end words of verse 38, where it says, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. To draw back in the scripture is literally to shrink back in fear. It's to kind of go backwards in fear. To live in fear is to not live in faith. See, what we have here is a figure of speech where you express something positive by saying the opposite. We do this all the time when we say things like not bad at all. He's not a rocket scientist. This is going to be no small task. It's just an understatement. That's what's going on here in the text. So in other words, the focus of this verse is that the just shall live by faith. And the rest of this verse is another way of saying this. Hold fast to your faith when you're tempted to abandon it. It is a life of faith, trusting God and obeying him that is pleasing to the Lord. And the opposite, the opposite of living a life of faith is to draw or shrink back, deserting the faith, becoming an apostate. And if we do that, God's not going to be very pleased with us. Now, for the believer, our eternal salvation is not on the line, but we will lose our rewards and we will waste our lives. And I think that is what the writer means in verse 39 when he says this. He says, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Let's break this verse down. The writer included himself with these people, meaning they must be believers, and he assumed that they would not draw back. Going all the way back to verse 25, where he warned them that some of them were not meeting together. They weren't getting together because they feared the persecution of the Jews. He's not saying it would be impossible for them to turn back. He's saying they shouldn't. They should follow his example instead. Because living by faith is far better than living by rules, living by rituals. To go back to that Levitical worship because you feared the persecution, that's not an act of faith, is it? It would be to give up, to say that God could not sustain them through their trials. Boy, do we get guilty of that, to say that God is not able to sustain us through our trials. It is to take matters into their own hands instead of trusting the instruction of God. Sometimes we look at trials, the difficulties, and we think to ourselves, hey, there is no hope. 
Sometimes we look at everything that's ahead of us in life, all that we are facing, and we say that it's difficult to trust. It's difficult to live for Jesus Christ. And yes, sometimes it is. But what is Hebrews 11 about to show us? It's about to tell us that we're not alone. That by faith in the promises of God, his people overcame. Perdition, some translations say here destroyed or destruction. Now, those are very, very literal words, but they don't capture the full meaning here. Because the word, if you look it up, it has the idea of waste, and the context shows us how it is to be translated. And after a lot of hours on this passage, I really believe that the best translation of the word here is waste. It's used this way repeatedly in Matthew. The person who deserts the faith wastes his life. Soul just means life and will suffer the temporal discipline of God. A believer who does not walk by faith goes back to the old ways, goes back to who they were and wastes their life. But those who believe, those who remain steadfast in their walk of faith, they will be saved. But the writer, he again was not referring to eternal salvation. I can tell you that because it's not even the normal Greek word that is used for saved, for conversion. It's a Greek phrase just meaning this, preserving the life. And so all that this is saying is that the believer who steadfastly walks by faith in Jesus Christ, he will keep his soul or life, meaning he won't waste his life. And he won't suffer the temporal punishment that God inflicts on those who turn back. See, the author is just saying that these readers were to live by faith, even when they were going in the midst of difficult trials and times, because we are not just saved by faith from our sin. We are to live by faith today, tomorrow, the next day. This is the theme throughout all the rest of the book. Obedience to the word of God would preserve your life to be used for the glory of God. And shouldn't that be the purpose for us all? Obedience to Christ so we can be preserved for the glory of God. Don't waste your life is all this is saying. It is a sin to turn back and it will bring terrible consequences for the believer in Christ. In other words, we're just being challenged here to use the time we have even when things seem difficult to invest your life for the glory of God. American missionary Adoniram Judson those of you that know his story, he arrived in Burma in 1812, and he died there 38 years later in 1850. And during that time, he suffered a lot. He suffered many, many things for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was imprisoned. He was tortured. He was kept in shackles. And after the death of his first wife, Anne, for several months, and I would probably be there too, you guys would have to come get me. He was so depressed when she died that he sat daily, daily beside her tomb, mourning. Three years later, he wrote this, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I can't find him. But Adoniram's faith Eventually, it did sustain him, and he withdrew himself into the work that God had called him to. He worked passionately on his translation of the Bible. The New Testament had now been printed, and he finished the Old Testament in the year of 1834. Now, it's hard to know for sure, but there were only somewhere between 12 and 25 Christians in that country when he died after all those years, and there was no churches left behind to speak of. Fast forward in time with me, if you would, at the 150th anniversary of the translation of the Bible into the Burmese language, Paul Borthwick was addressing a group that was celebrating Judson's work. 
And just before he got up to speak, he noticed in small print on the first page of the Bible, the words translated by A. Judson. Paul turned to his interpreter. He couldn't believe what he was seeing in this Bible. A Burmese man by the name of Matthew was there. And so he asked him, he said, Matthew, what do you know about this man? And Matthew began to weep as he said this, we know him. We know how he loved the Burmese people, how he suffered for the gospel of Jesus Christ because of us, out of his love for us. He died a very poor man, but he left the Bible for us. When he died, there were few believers, but now today there stands to be over 600,000 of us. And every single one of us traces our spiritual heritage to one man, Adoniram Judson. But Adoniram Judson never saw it. Why? Because he lived by faith. I want to challenge you this morning to invest your life in the ministry of the church, in the ministry of God's people, with a trust that God oversees our work and ensures that our labor, it's not in vain. See, when you're tempted to turn aside in your faith, when you're tempted to turn back from following Jesus Christ, keep focused on what he's already done for us and what he has in store for us in the future. The message of Hebrews is clear. Hang in there, believer in Christ. Hang in there, Christian. Do not lose hope. The journey is almost over. The reward is worth it because if we turn away the consequences for not walking with Christ, they are too, too severe. God's grace will meet our needs. I'm absolutely certain of that. And in Christ, we can find the power to persevere in the face of life's difficulties. God will strengthen us. He will make his strength available to those who walk with him in the face of difficulty and hardship. Life is hard. Let's say it like that. Life is hard. The world is never going to come and encourage you in your faith in Jesus Christ. The world will do everything it can to make us forget about our Savior or to mock our Savior. So ask God to help us to trust. Ask God to give us His joy, even in the darkness of hardship. And may God fill us with His love so that we can love others just as He loved us. May God keep us secure in Him so that we can continue to be a light in the darkness until the day, the blessed day of His return. Even so... Come, Lord Jesus. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.